Good morning, church. It is uh, always good to be together, and uh, it's good to be together with a full house. Uh, There's something about Easter, but uh, just being here and even knowing there's some people that aren't normally here that uh, are, are that are that are normally here our way, and uh, others who may maybe guests would just welcome you. Um, today, uh, Josh and I are going to tag team preach. I'll say we're going to tag team share. Um, I've done this with my wife before, but you're not my wife. Thank God. Facts. Um, <laughs> what we're going to do today, we're continuing along this theme around uh, looking at Mark, the book of Mark. And the last three chapters of Mark, 14, 15, and 16, actually are Holy Week. So Holy Week is that 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 those the, that space of time from Palm Sunday through Easter, and this incredible amount of things that happens, and we're going to try to reflect on all of that. So pray for us, okay? Um, and it's going to be snapshots. So we are together taking a journey, kind of being interactive together around the segments there. So if you if you want to follow in the text, feel free to turn to Mark fourteen. And then just try to follow us through that, but we're just taking segment by segment. Uh, we know that the texts in the original manuscript weren't divided out with headings. So even if you get one translation to another translation, it may not be divided the same way. So yours might not be divided how I divided this or we divided it. I use the amplified version as a way of doing that. But our, our goal really is through the lens of Mark's writing to look at this account of Holy Week that uh, we're celebrating today as the culmination of that on Easter Sunday morning, where we together, one person, Josh already did this, but again for us as a way of engaging, where I, I say he is risen and you all say he is risen indeed. We're going to say that, but we're going to build it with crescendo. So we're starting kind of quietly, a recognition that's there, and we're going to build it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That was a greeting, a declaration of the way in which the believers who experienced this encounter with Jesus and the depths of depths and then the incredible revelation that he was risen and he revealed himself along the way in those last days to many of his followers. We can't quite even get into that and we're not preaching a lot today, right Josh? But uh, a recognition of the excitement that what you thought was over was just getting started. So let's pray today for God's insight through Josh and I sharing about uh, this particular, uh, these passages or these chapters in Mark. Lord, we ask you today that you would open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, our very hearts to new insights as we reflect together in these chapters. Help this not to be just that same old, same old story, but those insights as as Josh and I sat with this passage, the things that caught our attention, that as we share them would bring Holy Spirit life, Jesus within us life, the very presence of the Godhead as we have moved through this this, this season of, of, of Holy Week and really Lent and right into that preparation of Pentecost, of the coming of your Spirit, you actually living within us, Jesus. What an incredible mystery and what a treasure. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So Josh, at the beginning of Mark 14, uh, we're already hearing stirrings about these plots 
that the church leaders, the Jewish leaders are, 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 are already, they're kind of getting frustrated with Jesus. And um, this starts out that same day where th- there was Simon the leper who was healed. Uh, and he was, at, Jesus was at Simon the leper's house. And this woman comes in and what just happened? And so I invite you just to reflect a little bit on what caught your attention as you, as you uh, focused on this kind of death plot and then the anointing in Bethany. Yeah, so definitely two, two different parts there. As Mark opens chapter 14, there is a huge shift in, in mood and tone here in the writing, right? So everything up to this point has been like, hey, things are going pretty good. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. Things are happy. Everything's going really well. And all of a sudden, boom, Mark hits us with this, there's this plot mm-hmm. to kill him. And it's almost as if somebody hit the big red button to make all of this start going in motion. And it's not that Jesus couldn't have stopped it. Mm-hmm. He could have, but he knew why he was here, and it was done so that the scripture could be fulfilled. So this whole thing now is in motion, and it's rolling, Keith, mm-hmm. and, and no one's, no one's stopping, stopping it. it. Yep. So then we cut to the other part of, of the text where there's this encounter with Jesus. Um, in, this, in this chapter, it doesn't mention it, but we know it's, it's Mary, and she takes this this really, really expensive bottle of, of perfume and breaks it and, and pours it, this account says, on Jesus' feet. And the text tells us that it's worth 300 denarii. And so we know that one of those, one denarii, is, is like a day's wages. So the Jews did not work on the Sabbath. So if you do a little bit of quick math, you're talking like a year's salary. That is just destroy. It's like... Boom, there goes my year. It's at the feet of Jesus. And wow, what, what an act mm. of worship that is. Yeah. But here's these guys, Keith, that are sitting around the table, and they're like protesting this. They're like, no, this isn't, this isn't good. That's not right. Why did, why did you waste that? You could have given that to the poor. Mm. Keith, they, they missed it. Mm-hmm. Because if they would have known who Jesus was, if they would have known what he was about to do and the significance of that, the question would have been flipped, and it would have been, why is that gift so small? It's mm. really good. Yeah. So Mark's account continues with the preparation for the uh, last Passover or the Last Supper, as we often to refer to it. Um, most of us are familiar with this passage, but as you reflect on this account within the text of Holy Week, Keith, what was it that caught your attention as you studied? Well, I'm going to refer to that in a second, but what caught my attention was that this guy's pretty good at preaching, isn't he? He can bring it. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the things that I get the joy of in this particular season is I get to walk with him. We meet monthly. We connect uh, not almost two years ago soon. Right. We license him toward ordination. There's a lot of things we're walking through. In fact, even what we're doing today is a part of the preparation toward that ordination. But I just, I just need to say it. Working with this guy is great, and I love, I love to hear you preach. I love to hear you Thanks. share. We're sharing today. I love to hear him share, too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in reference to the question, uh, you know, the preparation for this last Passover, what caught my attention really here, we're not yet into Passover, we're just getting ready for that meal, mm-hmm. and Jesus gives these instructions and he tells them exactly what to do. I mean, like Jesus was, in terms of words of wisdom, words of knowledge, walking in the power of the Spirit, he was doing it. Because he told them exactly what they were to do. They went and did it, and everything that he said was as it should be. 
And I thought about that. This is about listening to the Father, listening to, attentive to the Spirit of God at work, and then obeying. And it reminds me again, that's the call that each one of us has. How closely are we being attentive to what the Spirit of God is speaking and then obeying? Is there a place where I, where you are being drawn at a deeper level into listening and responding to that voice that's calling us in the same way that Jesus did when he was here on this earth? And there's a lot more I could share there in any of these passages. We could preach a whole sermon on every one of these that we have here, and we've got quite a few, so we'll keep moving. But in that context, um, uh, the, the, the recognition in that, that space and place um, that leads us into the heart of the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus' very intimate time with his disciples. He was preparing them for his upcoming death. And as you read this passage again, which we know very, very well from different accounts, what caught your attention? Yeah, and as far you know, as, as that Last Supper and communion, we have a pretty good idea of as, as we practice it and has, as the church has practiced it for a long, long time, we know what that looks like and we know what's coming. But for Jewish tradition... Jesus kind of flipped this around, right? So everything in Passover had symbolic meaning. The bread was called the bread of affliction, which symbolized the bread that their fathers ate uh, under the Egyptian rule. Bitter herbs were often served um, to recall the bitterness of slavery. And salt water was often drank at the meal to symbolize the tears that were shed under Egyptian uh, oppression. And then um, for the main course, it was the meat of a lamb, which was eaten to recall the blood that was put on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over, pass over, right? Um, So that isn't what happened that night, right? So Jesus was going to use symbolism, but in a different way. He he was going to rework that. So maybe the, the disciples were expecting salt water, But instead, Jesus broke out the wine, okay? This was not your father's Passover. This was very different. It doesn't say in the text, but I think that we can assume that there was probably some shock value there and some surprise. Jesus was redefining Passover, no longer focusing on the deliverance of Egypt, but rather rather focusing on the deliverance of the entire world, which he was was about to do, right? He was preparing to do. He was shifting that the, uh, the way that they thought by together creating something new. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So Keith, after this meal, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. This was a place of deep anguish for Jesus as he prepared for and anticipated for his upcoming death. What stood out to you uh, during, this, during this section? I, I think any time I, I spend time in the passage of Gethsemane, I'm always captured by the struggle of Jesus. You know, I mean, sometimes it feels like, like Jesus could call a legion of angels. He could do whatever he want. Where was that human element of facing the anguish of death that was there? And it's so present in Gethsemane. It is, it is there to the point, and this is, you know, I, I often look at this and say, I pray this and I want to pray it more deeply. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Not my will. You see, we live in a culture that it's all about my will. America, by the way we function, is me, 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 which it's my will, my will, my will. But we're a part of a different kingdom. That kingdom's calling us to, play, to, to say, God, what is it you're doing? Yeah. And how might I lay down my life to join in with what it is that you're doing? 
And really that, that at the core was what, what caught my attention. But in that, also this tendency, pattern of the disciples to fall asleep at the wheel. I don't like to stay up late and pray all night. I'll just let you know that. I just don't. I, I like to pray. I've done all-night prayer meetings. Uh, it's not part of how I'm wired very much, even though I can be wired. But in that context, this falling asleep, I get what he's talking about here. And for the disciples, that place of actually being in a place and kept falling asleep, and Jesus appealed to them at the very end of that time. In verse 41, he came back a third time to them and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough of that. The hour has come. And I, I was again convicted as I read that of how easily I get distracted and fall asleep in the work of the kingdom. Jesus is calling us to engage with him in doing the work of the kingdom, but we are at times falling asleep when God's saying, wake up, be attentive to what I'm doing, and it might well cost you, could cost you your very life, as it did for Jesus to obey and walk with him. So that's really what caught my attention in Gethsemane. So they're in the garden. The disciples' uh, last words in Mark account were, uh, Jesus' last words were this, uh, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hand of sinners. Get up and let us go. My betrayer is near. And while he was speaking, Judas Iscariot came and kissed Jesus, a signal of the betrayal. Uh, what, what do you have to share with us about kind of that betrayal account? Yeah, yeah so this is where things start to get a little bit messy. Not for, not for Jesus, because he's in control the entire time and this plan of of betrayal is is like i said it's just it's ongoing here we're, we're set in motion we're moving but it's it becomes messy for everybody else because the way that this is going down is not probably what they wanted yeah. and so we have jesus kissed and betrayed we have him grabbed arrested we have this in this passage this unnamed man which we know in other accounts is peter who, who takes up arms and he, he, cuts, he cuts this guard's ear off, right? And Jesus, through it all, even as he's being arrested, he's ministering. Hmm. He's, healing, he's healing this guy, uh, this soldier. And what caught my attention is there's ministry and there's miracles happening right, happening right in the middle of all of this, yet nobody stops to question anything. Right? No one says, oh my goodness, I just saw the man's ear healed right in front of me. This truly is God. We can't do, no. It just, it keeps, mm -hmm. it keeps going. And good thing for Peter, because who knows, if Jesus wouldn't have healed that man's ear, maybe Peter would have been arrested that day as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and at the end of it all, the Bible tells us that all the disciples fled and that there was no one left with Jesus. Everybody. There was not one that said, you know what? I want to stay with him. Every, everybody was gone. They arrested Jesus and took him to the Jewish leaders and the high priests, chief of the priests, and the elders and the scribes. As this account unfolds from the perspective of Mark, what do you find significant here? Well, again, where this, where this passage divides, it starts right after this, this betrayal account, and there's one hinge verse in between, verse 51, that says a young man was following him wearing only a linen sheet over his naked body, and some men seized him, and, but pulling free of the linen sheet, he escaped from them naked. What the world is that in the scriptures for? That's unique. But in that context, most biblical scholars believe that was actually the writer of this book. It was Mark's mark on the story that he actually saw this go down. 
Now, it's hard to prove that, but that's you know, kind of in terms of what's there. But at the same time, in that context, a recognition that there was already this connection with, from Mark and with Jesus of this man that he was interested in, that he desired to know more about. But it, it, it goes from that place and uh, into, that, into that context. And the trial of Jesus, again, the Jewish leaders get false testimony about him. And I, I, you know, when, when, you have fa- when you have false testimony about yourself, what is the number one thing you want to do? You know it's not true. What do you want to do? Defend yourself. We do it all the time. I mean, squabbles between kids, between siblings, between schoolmates, between even families. You know, you can't say that about me. I didn't do that. He didn't open his mouth. Even though he knew that what they were saying was not the truth. And he kept silent, gave no answer at all, until the priest asked him this question. Are you the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus did respond to that question and said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated with authority at the right hand of the Father. And that was the bombshell. Kaboom. He testified to the very thing that they were, in a sense, accusing him of, and that was he was claiming to be God. Because he was God. He was still telling the truth. But he wasn't defending himself. He was only responding to the question. And that now took this all into motion, into a space and place where suddenly blasphemy. They began to spit on him and beat him. And what caught my attention is the clear declaration from Jesus that he was the long-awaited Messiah. He was the Son of God. This is the man, the God-man, that we as Christians owe our own lives to and who we want to commit the very core of all that we are to that man named Jesus. Now, while all this was happening, Mark noted that Peter was following uh, him at a distance, not right there, but into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the officers, guards, and servants and warming his hands by the fire. Remember, we didn't talk about this in the context that we didn't read the text, okay. but in that context, Jesus had said at the Last Supper that before the rooster crowed twice, Peter would deny him three times. And as you reflected on this account in Holy Week, Peter's denial, what, what caught your attention, Josh? Yeah, for me it was the shift from Peter in the garden to Peter right now where we're at in the mm-hmm. text. Right? Because back in the garden, as I said, right, Peter, Peter was ready to go. He was, he was ready to defend. He was ready to fight. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, he's denying, and he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus at all. Actually, the text, the text tells us that he was swearing and cursing mm-hmm. <laughs> to sort of make it prove, to prove, yeah. to show that I'm not, look, I'm, I'm, I'm swearing up a storm over here. I'm not with this guy. I, I, I want to separate myself as far as I can. And so, for me, looking at that fighting versus that, that dying to something, right, Peter... Peter was willing to fight, but he wasn't willing to submit or die mm. to Jesus. Yeah. And so when I look at that, I mean, you, you fill in the blank with, with anything in your life. Oftentimes, the things that we cling to, even if we do it in the name, like this is spiritual, this is for Jesus. But if somebody, if God, you know, says, well, I need you to give that up. Are you able to release that? Are you, are you able to give that up? Because if you, if you can't, it becomes false faithfulness. Yeah. Because really you're doing it for yourself. I'll fight. I'm going to hold on to this thing as long as I can. 
God says, give it up, and you say, no, I can't. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to give up my own life, my own thing mm. for you. So this trial before the Jewish leaders lasted all night. The rooster crowing marked the early uh, hours of the next day. Chapter starts with the Jewish leaders um, of Jesus before Pontius Pilate, the Roman perfect, um, prefect, right? Yeah. Uh, or governor of Judea. They wanted to get Pilate's permission to crucify Jesus. Keith, as you read the account of Jesus' time before Pilate, what seemed significant to you? Well, I, I find it interesting because in that context, he comes before Pilate and the same question comes up. The same place, which is, again, the declaration, this is the Messiah. Hmm. Pilate frames it a different way, kind of in this context of almost kind of, I think, in some ways trying to get back at the Jewish leaders in that, in that context. But he asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And that, again, caught my attention in that context because Jesus' response again was that, yes, uh, I am. That's who I am. Now, he hadn't named that before, but now when somebody asked that, that was the name. And actually, then Pilate puts that up on the cross, which they didn't like, but this was a, a way of engaging it. So for the second time now, there's this declaration of, of, of I, I, I'm indeed the one who, who they have been looking at. He couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus, but in that context, he was more concerned about keeping the peace with the Jewish people that he was, he was the prefect over, the governor over. And so he decided to go with what they wanted, even though he could not find anything wrong with Jesus' testimony. That just caught my attention, that reality of, you know what, I'm going to take the easy route. I'm going to make everybody happy, even though I know what's there isn't the right thing. It's not really honoring to God. It's not, you know, whatever we might say. I'm going to do it because it'll keep the peace. Now, that's another whole sermon. We're not going to go there, but I just caught my attention. So now, Josh, with Pilate's consent, the Jewish leaders could now let the Roman soldiers do the dirty work of crucifixion. Horrible death, gruesome death. But even before the crucifixion, they mocked him, they beat him. Tell us a bit about what stirred you in this passage as you kind of read through again that now the Romans taking on their kind of torturous way of, of, of death. What, what caught your attention? Yeah, I think for, for me it's just the, we know that Jesus is the king of kings, but the, the, the mockery and the refusing to kind of make, you know, to give him that rightful place. So mm-hmm. we're going to call him a king, but we're going to do everything that we can to sort of like make fun of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and it all aligned with like how, how real kings were, whether it was treated or dressed, but it was twisted mm-hmm. in a mocking way. So um, instead of the, the wreath of flowers, I'm sorry, the wreath of leaves that mm-hmm. were put on the head, crown of thorns. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we got here? In, instead of saying, hail Caesar, it was hail king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of kissing him and, and uh, treating him that way, it was just continually spitting on him. Um, and even in, in one account in Matthew, uh, you know, giving him the stick that he was beating with, uh, giving him the stick as his royal scepter. Mm-hmm. So just all this mockery that went mm-hmm. along with yeah. being a king. Mm. Wow. So this leads us to the actual crucifixion. The brutality of this type of death cannot be described. We try to avoid the details in this event, but it's important to note that our Savior suffered the most brutal death death on our behalf. Mm-hmm. 
Keith, was there anything new from this crucifixion account that was brought to your attention? Well, like I said, it's so familiar. I, I'm always kind of looking for the, the new thing. But, you know, the Jewish leaders, the Roman soldiers, the crowds, and even the robbers that were being crucified were insulting and mocking him. So it's kind of the whole enchilada. Everybody mm. is mm. against him, mocking him. But when Jesus uttered a, a loud cry and breathed out his last breath, he voluntarily and sovereignly, as the, as the Amplified Version says it, he voluntarily and sovereignly released his spirit and his body in submission to the Father's plan, which we've already talked about. Hmm. But it was a Roman centurion who was standing opposite him, saw the way he breathed his last breath. He said, truly, this man was the Son of God. It was a Roman centurion that was recorded how Mark or, you know, the, in terms of what was there, how that, that was heard or repeated or the Holy Spirit brought it in that context. The one who recognized it through all that was going on, the tearing of the curtain, the, the crazy, you know, thunderstorm and all the stuff that was going on and the shaking and quaking of the earth, the people who should have known it <laughs> aren't the one that recognized it, but it was the Roman centurion. Truly this was the Son of Man. And I think what I felt like the Spirit speaking to me was, don't ever be surprised by where the truth of the gospel penetrates in and touches a person that you would never expect. We kind of like to find a way to say, well, we know the model person who might come to Christ because of this, this, and this, and whatever it might be. That's where we're going to focus. Don't be surprised if just by walking with someone, loving someone, speaking truth to them, that the Roman centurion that you encounter becomes a follower of Jesus because of what they experience through the power of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So now Jesus has died. Mark's account, uh, he gives this uh, kind of de detailed account, burial, and it's true in the, in the other passages where, well, there's kind of this clear and compelling account of Jesus' burial. Any, any insight, Josh? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just interesting that, they, that they take, Mark takes the time here to, to go through all of that buried information mm. um, of Jesus' burial, um, because the, re the reason why we celebrate Easter is because of the resurrection, right? Mm -hmm. that's, 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 that's the main part of why this all is being celebrated and lived out is the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And I think the key here is that you can't have resurrection yeah. without the burial. Yeah. Because without that is verifying, that is de verifying, verifying, verifying the death. stamping, that is death, mm -hmm. and this is resurrection. Mm -hmm. So that is so key, Keith, mm -hmm. that that... That that's in here. Mm -hmm. And then just looking at Joseph of Arimathea, right? This is a prominent council member who most likely would have been, been on there the Sanhedrin. Yeah. In the Sanhedrin while Jesus was on trial. Mm -hmm. But he did not he did not stand up and say, wait, 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 stop this. This man is innocent. We can't do it. Right? He remained silent. Mm -hmm. So in many ways, it, in, in those ways, he he didn't serve Jesus mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. But he did serve Jesus in ways that only he could, which yeah. was what? Which mm -hmm. was allowing the body to be put in, in his tomb, yeah. giving up that tomb, which would have been in his family, which would have, you know, cost, uh, there would have been a cost there because it was, it was used for Jesus. And as far as Joseph knew, I mean, he, he might have believed that Jesus was going to raise again, but at this point, we haven't seen it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this was a huge sacrifice saying, I'm going to give this man my tomb and he might not rise. I don't yeah. know. But he's worthy of it. Yeah. And, that, and that was worship. Wow. So It's good. This account of the burial does set the stage for Jesus' resur resurrection. 
that we are celebrating today. Mark's resurrection account is brief but powerful. What caught your attention? Well, it's in this context, I always find it interesting. It was the women who were going to the tomb, to this place, and they didn't know what all was going on, but they were full of faith. But they still were surprised, and, and so that again caught my attention. It was the women who were first there, um, and they were wondering as they went to the tomb, the text says, who will roll back the stone for us uh, from the entrance of the tomb? We need some men here with us, but we can't even roll back the, t- the, the stone to be able to, to see it, and they also probably knew there was Roman guards there with that as well. But when they got there, the scripture says they saw a young man, quote-unquote young man, sitting on the right, wearing a long, stately white robe. We start figuring out who this might be. Um, and they were amazed and bewildered. He said, that, said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. The declaration now back to crucifixion, death, verification from the tomb, sealed. It's legally true. He is not here. He has risen from the dead. This is the explosion of Resurrection Sunday and of the story. And it is, it is about, we often say, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday because there's life in Jesus. But there's life in Jesus because he came and died for us, for our sins. And he defeated death. He defeated all that was there. And this account here, what he said, the, the angel said to the women, do not be amazed for you're looking for, G, uh, for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. Go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to, to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. This ar- ar- account of the risen Christ is why we're here today. Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, that sense of a declaration that we've already said, He is risen. He's risen indeed. Such a powerful, powerful uh, image and story. And in that also, this becomes part of our story as well. We get to communicate to others that without Jesus, I am nothing. But it's hard to declare that when, in truth, at times we live kind of without Jesus and we do our own thing. So the more he is in us with fullness, the more the power of that declaration goes out from us as followers of Jesus. We've come to the end of our story, uh, Josh, except that Mark continues with that brief description of the accounts of what happened after Jesus' resurrection. Um, and is there something that caught your attention as you, as you uh, looked at that last section of chapter 16? Yeah, so this is like the so what now? Where, where do we go yeah. from here sort of thing? And uh, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, uh, to go and to preach to every creature, Mm -hmm. right? And it's very clear that that was a command. Jesus commanded, go and preach. So it's not a suggestion. We need to go now, and we need to, one, we need to share with whoever, friends, families, uh, co-workers, whoever, our neighbors, right? Whoever's in our life, we need to go share uh, the good news and and what Jesus did for us. Um, And he says that you need to believe and he says that you need to be baptized. Mm. Um, now, it, it does say it does say there uh, that, let me find it here. He who believed in me and has been baptized will be saved. But he who has not believed will be condemned. So it, well, something that caught my attention, that baptism was not mentioned in there for, for who will be condemned. So, so believing is essential uh, for salvation. 
Um, but, but baptism is not essential no. for salvation, but it is essential for obedience. Mm -hmm. So Jesus did command it. We, mm -hmm. we should go and we should do those things. Mm -hmm. So what is it? We need to share, we need to believe, and we need to be baptized mm -hmm. um, in order to obey what God has said. Hey, because of this, because of this resurrection, because of everything that I've done, go and do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Josh, uh, for joining with me in, in relating this story.